Hi, I'm your host, Juliette Root. Welcome to the WooCast. I've been in the health and wellness industry for the last 15 years as a personal trainer, board certified nutritionist and integrative healing coach. My passion is to motivate and support people in having a healthy and thriving, joyful life. This podcast will educate, inspire and empower you as we dive deep into everything from spirituality to mysticism, alternative medicine and human optimization. Most importantly, my hope is that this show feels like a nice warm hug of connection and support from others who are also interested in living a life that isn't just about surviving and getting by, but a life that is truly thriving. Please enjoy this episode. And I would be so grateful if you could support the podcast by subscribing, rating and reviewing. If you use Apple Podcasts, this is the best place to do this. So the show can rank and be seen. And the more people that can have access to this show, the healthier the world becomes. It is truly a ripple effect. So please Please spread the love and enjoy. Welcome to the WooCast, everybody. I'm your host, Juliette Root, and today I am here with Greg Schmaus. He is the CEO of Healing 4D. He is a holistic health practitioner, shamanic energy healer, and a massage therapist. He is also the creator of Healing the Mind, a 21-day holistic mental health program. With a fully integrated approach to physical and mental health, Greg supports students across the world in gaining understanding and meaning to their healing journey. Over the past decade, Greg has coached countless clients with various physical and mental health challenges, integrating the lessons of many of his great teachers and mentors, including Paul Check and Alberto Violdo. Greg believes that we are all here on a unique healing journey that paves the way back to wholeness. Greg's personal journey, healing from various physical and mental health challenges, is the foundation of each one of his coaching programs. With his foundation, Greg is able to coach and teach his students and clients from a place of authentic embodied presence. And I'm thrilled to have him on the show after listening to him on Paul Check's podcast, which if you guys haven't checked out that podcast, amazing podcast. I just immediately knew, like I felt a connection. I'm like, I need to contact Greg and get him on the WooCast. So Thank you for coming on the show, Greg. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and so grateful that you had reached out. So, you know, I'm really excited to connect and share with you and your listeners. Yeah. So, so many things that I want to talk about. You're a wealth of mm-hmm. knowledge. Um, and you've been doing this work for quite some time now, helping people. And you mentioned to me before we uh, started recording this, that you are working with clients in person or people coming to you and seeing you in, in real, in IRL. So- <laughs> So my, my practice used to be a hundred percent in person because the initial part of my career was mostly in the realm of exercise. I was working as a Czech practitioner, doing a lot of corrective exercise and rehabilitative work. And so I was doing that all in my own studio in person, but as soon as COVID hit, everything changed. So that's when I had to shut my studio down and had to think outside the box in terms of my own career, my own path and my own practice. And that's where I started diving into a lot of the work that I'm really more passionate about, which is a lot of the mental, emotional healing work, a lot of the energy work and um, working with clients with similar challenges that I've struggled with. So now obviously that work, you don't really have to do in person. So I would say 75% of my practice right now is remote and I still have about 25% of my in-person practice, but I really enjoy the remote work. I really enjoy connecting with people from all over 
So, I mean, honestly, COVID has been a huge blessing for me in terms of my career. It's really kind of like fast track things for me because it's allowed me to move in the direction of I've always wanted to go in, but it wasn't really um, something that I was diving into unless, you know, I was really forced into it. I think life does that sometimes life, you know, throws you right into, you know, your destiny, even though you feel like you're not ready for it. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. It's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's the old saying that you want to tell God, you want to tell God a joke, tell God you have a plan. So, um, that's been kind of the, the main theme of my life as of late. So I've been just enjoying the ride. It's so interesting. I've spoken to quite a few people whose background was in like physical fitness and, Mm -hmm. you know, even like corrective exercise, like you said, and helping people on the physical level, which then there's this natural kind of progression or like kind of interest and inquiry of, hmm, there seems to be something underneath this that I need to help people with on more of the mental, emotional, and then spiritual level comes in mm-hmm. into play. And similar to you over COVID, I had this kind of wake up moment where it was like, my path is no longer in alignment to just help people with their physical health anymore. I was doing personal training for 15 years and um, nutrition counseling for about 10 and helping people on the emotional side with nutrition. But then there was this kind of calling for something even deeper that I didn't have the tools or the knowledge yet to help people with until COVID happened. And then it was like, oh, there's a deep dive that I'm being like shoved into of doing more of this like energy work and seeing uh, people beyond uh, what they, who they think they really are and kind of like unraveling all these like layers to, to, to humans and what we are and who we are and what we're here to do. And so I'm just, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that journey for you? Cause I know you had a surgery, right. About a decade yeah. ago that kind of launched you into your own healing. Yeah. So I think that that career progression is very natural where we start with the physical, we start with the exercise. It's almost like we start with matter and then we move into what's informing matter. Right. So we start with the exercise, we start with the nutrition and all that stuff is so important. Like that's the foundation of being a human being. So I actually think that's the best way to go about it and then get to the energy work. Because honestly, there's so many energy healers that don't know a thing about nutrition or exercise. And it's very hard to do energy work and facilitate healing for somebody that's just not taking care of themselves on a foundational level. So I think that's where a lot of the energy work energy work does not really stick is because the way a person's feeding themselves, moving their body, sleeping, just their own basic self-care, like that's the stuff you have to address first, no matter what. Like when I work with a client, like no matter how much emotional trauma, mental health issues, it doesn't matter what it is. We always start with the basics. And you know, that progression in my career was just like yourself for me was a mirror of my own personal journey. And I started in athletics. I was, you know, an athlete from as young as I could remember. I was a soccer player, ski racing, but golf was my real passion. So I got a division one scholarship to the university of Houston 
So I was on a golf scholarship there. And during my freshman year, I experienced a testicular torsion, which I had to go in for surgery. And as I was coming out of anesthesia, I started experiencing a lot of mental and emotional challenges, a lot of kind of like obsessive compulsive disorder, a lot of anxiety, a lot of insomnia. And I really um, struggled with that for many years, a lot of kind of looping thought patterns and things that I had never really experienced. So all of a sudden I got kind of like shocked into this like healing journey of like, okay, I've been focused on my body for so long. Now I actually have to dive into the healing of my mind and my emotions. And I started to really see how everything was so woven together in terms of, you know, how I slept, how that impacted my mental and emotional state, the foods that I ate, how that impacted my mental and emotional state, whether I was over or under exercising, usually over exercising and how much any time I created this kind of like sympathetic stress response in my nervous system, all of a sudden my mind was overactive. So I started to see in my own life how everything was so woven together in terms of the body, in terms of the mind, the emotions, the diet, our breathing patterns, everything. And that really kind of like shapes, you know, my path in terms of really the work I do now and what I feel is my sense of purpose and mission in life, which is really supporting others in their healing and kind of sharing kind of the wisdom and knowledge that I've gained from my own path and my own healing journey. So that's really how it started for me as it usually does for most healers and most practitioners. What do you think happened uh, with that surgery and that experience? Do you think that it was bound, like that was a part of your, like your purpose and your path to have that experience to be launched into healing things and uncovering things for yourself that were they there? Did they exist already underneath? And that's just what brought them out. Um, I mean, when I was younger, I never really experienced any like obsessive compulsive anxiety, anything like that. Um, I mean, I was like always a perfectionist. I was always kind of like a kind of like type a very hardworking, which those personalities are very prone to those sorts of things. But I honestly think it was more my soul's path in terms of like, this was the crisis that I had to work through in Mm -hmm. order to really align with my purpose. Mm -hmm. So I do think it was kind of part of that kind of archetypal hero's journey that we all have on some level. It just shows up and expresses itself differently for each individual. So that's more my story of it. Yeah. Um, and that's the story that serves me best, whether it's true or not. I have no idea. <laughs> um, I'll let you know when I do my life review, yeah. but, um, that's what I'm going with. Yeah. I love that. How do you support people in getting to the root cause of some of the challenges that they face when you're working with clients? So the root cause is sometimes it could be as simple as diet and lifestyle. Honestly, like a lot of people I've worked with, with anxiety, depression, like a lot of times the root cause was, you know, an imbalanced gut flora, you know? So sometimes that could actually, it could be as simple as that. Like they got, you know, maybe a parasite infection or fungal overgrowth. Like, so sometimes it could be that simple and straightforward or like a lot of obsessive compulsive disorder. There's very often chronic infections, like chronic strep, chronic Lyme. So sometimes it's actually is on the physical level, but the truth is most of the time, the 
um, the root cause of any sort of challenge, even if it's a physical challenge is more mental, emotional, and energetic. So, I mean, I have like extensive paperwork that clients go through intake forms, but from my experience doing work with clients, exploring archetypes has been one of the most powerful vehicles of getting to the root cause. For example, if you study, um, Caroline misses work. Love her. I, she is such a like important person in my life who pushed me in a way that (laughs) I wasn't ready to be pushed in that way, but she will, she will do that. And what a firecracker. Straight to the point. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't fuck around. She doesn't fuck around. I'm like, Um, I want to be Caroline Mace when I'm older. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, her work on the archetypes and her book, Sacred Contracts, um, really starting to understand the survival archetypes of the victim, the saboteur, the child and the prostitute, understanding those four survival archetypes is really a great doorway um, into the root cause of people's illnesses. Like the root cause of people's illnesses are really born out of those four survival archetypes because those are the archetypes by definition that we use to survive. Those are the archetypes that express themselves under stress. Those are the archetypes that express themselves once we have some sort of trauma or some sort of betrayal or abuse or painful experience. So if we can really explore where the saboteur, the victim, the child, and the prostitute is showing up for each individual, and we can track it back to the origin of that archetype, for me, using the archetypes as a vehicle, because what an archetype is, the archetypes are really the kind of the, the base language of the psyche. The archetypes are really the roles that we play and how we express ourselves in relationship. It might be to other people. It might be to our work, finances. It doesn't matter what it is. Archetypes are really the vehicles that we use to navigate life in general. So if you can really understand those four survival archetypes and how they're showing up for you on a regular basis, that goes a long way in terms of really understanding the root cause of your healing. Could you give just a quick overview of each of those and what you, yeah, yeah, that would be great. I don't, that was one of the things that I had down. I wanted to talk to you about were the archetypes because I know you use them and we've never talked about them on the show before. So I'm excited for the listeners to hear about these. Yeah. So these four survival archetypes, like I said, are the ones that show up under stress anytime we shift into survival mode. And we could actually use, we could use the current pandemic, if you're okay with that. Sure. COVID, you know, to give a framework for these archetypes. So the victim is the archetype that, that's really our archetype in terms of our relationship with power, right? So the victim by definition feels powerless. The victim is the part of us that um, obviously feels victimized, maybe feels a sense of like self-pity, feels sorry for oneself. The victim also likes to blame. So we're blaming other people's circumstances for why we're experiencing what we're experiencing in life. Essentially, the victim feels like life is happening to us rather than for us. And archetypally, the victim is always looking for the rescuer. Right. The victim is always looking to be rescued because the victim feels disempowered. So the victim outsources its power. Right. And is always looking to be rescued. And um, 
the light side, remember, these are not all bad. So there's a light and shadow side. So the light side of the victim is acknowledging when you're being victimized, but then taking action and making a change, right? So say you're in an abusive relationship to deny that you're a victim would be silly, right? Acknowledge, Hey, I'm a victim here. And now I need to get out. But that's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about is when we're chronically playing the victim. It's when we're chronically kind of in what's called an archetypal possession, where we're kind of trapped in that archetypal road, um, role and we're expressing it in its shadow form, right? So think about like the current pandemic of, you know, as soon as COVID hits, everyone is told, stay home, wear a mask, social distance. There's nothing else you can do to take care of yourself. And you're going to have to wait for a vaccine, right? And not to say that any of those things are wrong or bad, but if you think about it archetypally, people are left feeling victimized. They're left feeling powerless. And the, they're told there's nothing else they can do, which means they don't have any power. They don't have any say in their own destiny or the health of their own body. And the archetypal rescuer here is the vaccine. Right. So all the power is put in one um, one solution and that becomes the rescuer for all the victims. Right. So that's kind of archetypally how that shows up collectively. And that's important to remember because these archetypes are collective patterns. Like each one of us has a victim inside of us. It just gets expressed differently, but it's the same archetype. Right. So there's the collective victim that gets expressed individually. Then we have the saboteur, the saboteur is self-sabotage. So it's kind of like, you know, if you imagine like that choice point or that fork in the road, where like turning left is a choice and turning right is a choice. Turning right would move you towards the life outcome that you want. Turning left would move you away from the outcome that you want. The saboteur gets its needs met by constantly turning left, right? So the big question with the saboteur is, how are we getting certain needs met by not healing? And that can be a very challenging question for people to look at, but it's a very important one because a lot of the reasons people don't heal is there's a part of them that's not ready to or doesn't want to, right? There's usually a fear, a limiting belief system, or an unresolved emotional wound, right? So it's usually one of three things, a fear, a limiting belief system, or an unresolved emotional wound. The fear might be, well, if I'm sick or I'm ill or I'm injured, I get more love and connection from people in my life. So if I actually heal, I might actually lose the love and connection that I was receiving. And I'm afraid I might not have that if I'm fully healthy because I haven't really felt that in my life. You know, that actually starts at a very young age. I remember as a young child, for example, my father is a medical doctor and I never really felt a close emotional connection with him. But anytime I was sick or anytime I was injured, my mom would take me to my dad's office and from my dad, the other doctors and the nurses, I would get like the best treatment. So as a child, I developed the program and the belief system that being sick and injured meant more love from dad. Right. So that's a belief system that actually shapes a lot of self-sabotage in people's lives. And there's numerous ways in which, you know, that happens. But obviously if you look at the current pandemic, there's, a lot of sabotage in terms of one's health. There's, you know, high levels of alcohol consumption, you know, fast food, and even sabotaging of constitutional rights, right? So anytime there's fear, 
limiting belief system or unresolved wounds, that shifts us into these survival archetypes. And we have the victim and the saboteur so far. And the current pandemic is shifting everyone into survival mode, right? So anytime you're under stress from, you know, any source, you're shifting into survival mode. So you shift into these survival archetypes. So victim, saboteur, and then we have the child. So the child, the archetypal child is the one who has a hard time taking responsibility for oneself. The one who's always looking for an authoritative figure, a mother or father archetype to tell them what to do. So the big thing with a child archetype is really your relationship with empowered choice. The child doesn't really like to make an empowered choice on its own. It likes to outsource choices, right? So it might outsource it to, you know, the news or social media or, you know, your doctor or whoever, like it could be any authoritative figure. That's really about, you know, the the child archetype is outsourcing the power of choice, not taking self-responsibility. And then looking for someone else to clean up your mess, so to speak, right? The archetypal child is also about approval seeking. So the child gets its sense of self. Its sense of self is based on the feedback it gets from the outer world. So the, the child archetype, the sense of self is very externalized. So it's not really fully aligned in itself. It hasn't really individuated yet. Mm-hmm. So it's very often like approval seeking, people pleasing. That's a lot of a child archetype who's trying to like, please mom and dad so it can feel good about itself, right? Um, which there's a lot of outsourcing responsibility to authority right now. Obviously, you could see the, the collective child archetype. Um, and then the prostitute archetype, the prostitute is all about compromise and negotiation. So the light and the shadow side of the prostitute the shadow side is where we're compromising ourselves, we're compromising our integrity, we're compromising our values, and we're really stepping out of alignment with our truth and our inner compass. The, the shadow side of the prostitute is all about where we negotiate ourselves away, where we allow ourselves to be taken advantage of, or where we kind of like have that like for sale sign. Like it's almost like we are for sale we allow ourselves to be taken advantage of due to some sort of either safety, security, financial gain. But the light side of the prostitute is more empowered negotiation. Instead of compromise, it's negotiating from a place of empowerment and from a place of self-worth. Like I have this to offer you, but I expect this in return. That's empowered negotiation, right? So Remember, there's a light side to all of the archetypes. I shared with you the light side of the victim. The light side of a saboteur could be sabotage what's not working for you anymore, right? Sabotage what you don't really need. It's kind of like clearing out the old, right? The light side of the child is being childlike, being young in body, mind, spirit, seeing things with fresh eyes, um, kind of like the beginner's mind. And then the light side of the, the prostitute is the empowered negotiator but not coming from a place of compromise and not coming from a place of fear where we compromise our self-worth and our values, right? So those are the four survival archetypes. And if you can heal those four survival archetypes in yourself, 99% of the, you know, physical, mental, emotional health challenges that we have 
you know, it's very easy to resolve a lot of that once you really have the awareness of how these archetypes are expressing themselves through you. And how do you utilize them when you're working with clients in this discovery of understanding where these archetypes show up for them? And like you said, there's the awareness around this, which is really powerful. But I also have found that there's beyond the awareness to actually clear this, these energies that happen because I'm the queen of self-awareness over here, Greg. And I'll tell you mm -hmm. that awareness has only gotten me so far. And, you know, we yeah. say it, get, it can get you very far, but doesn't necessarily heal these archetypes that still exist yeah. and live in our bodies and in our spirit. So. I love. Um, Richard Schwartz's work on internal family systems. And the reason I love his work on internal family systems is his system is really about developing an intimate relationship with all these parts of you. And remember, each archetype is a different part of you. And we each are the capital S self. And the self is really, you know, kind of like the core, the center of the awareness that you're talking about. And all of these archetypes are all the different parts that play themselves out. What's important to remember is every one of these parts and archetypes are almost like protectors. They're there to protect a wound. They're there to protect a part of us that's in pain, or they're there to protect a part of us that experienced trauma or a part of us that has fragmented, right? So anytime we experience pain or trauma, there's a part of our solar psyche that gets trapped in that experience and does not progress past that point. And whenever we have, you know, in, in internal family systems, he calls those exiles, right? The exiles are kind of like the younger wounded parts. And what's important to understand is that each one of these archetypes are essentially there to protect the exiles. So one of the things that we must do is not just have a relationship and awareness of the archetype, but also have an intimate relationship with the part of us that that archetype is there to protect. Right. So for example, the victim inside of me might be um, protecting a part of me that felt victimized when I was seven or eight years old. So I must have a relationship with my inner seven or eight year old, just as much as I have a relationship with the victim. The part of me that was getting its emotional needs met through my father by staying sick or injured, I need to have a relationship with him just as much as I have a relationship with the saboteur. So a lot of it is developing a deeper relationship with your inner child and all the different parts of your inner child that's being protected by these archetypal roles and these archetypal patterns. Um, in terms of my work with my clients, I also... Um, take Caroline Miss's work on the, the archetype wheel. Have you seen the wheel in her book, Sacred Contract? I have, yeah. Yeah, so the wheel is essentially, it's got what's called 12 houses and each house represents a different area of your life, right? So the first house is ego personality. The second one is life values. The third one is communication. Fourth is home and family life and so on. So what we do is we find the person's, my client's 12 archetypes and then we cast the 12 archetypes into the wheel so we can see each archetype exists in a specific house. You can see 
exactly which area of your life based on the house and the theme of that house that each specific archetype is showing up in. So that really makes it a little bit more fine-tuned and really pinpoints exactly where that archetype is showing up so you know exactly where your work is. The Virgo in me really likes this organization that you have going on (laughs) with your clients. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, because it can be very overwhelming for people to go start doing this inner work. And to, I know I've talked about this a podcast too, for myself, really being intrigued by all of these people, by the Caroline Maces, by, you know, the Richard Schwartz, by, and going into so many of these different modalities and ways of access to learning about yourself on a deeper level and healing parts of yourself. It can be very, very overwhelming to to understand how to organize it all. And where do I begin? And, and how do I stay kind of like on task with it, which is really wonderful why coaches are so important people to hold your hand kind of through that process and, and do that work with you. But I think, you know, even with a lot of the listeners and feedback that I've gotten from people, it's, yeah, it just feels like this big undertaking to do a lot of the shadow work that, you know, that's expressed as like, you've got to do your, do the work, you've got to do the shadow work. And what, um, like words of maybe encouragement do you have for people who are feeling that sense of like, this just seems like a lot to, to go into. Yeah. So one thing that I think is really important, and this is something that I've started to become aware in my life is we could actually get very addicted to constantly going back into the past and trying to do more healing work and more clearing and more shadow work. And we get stuck there. We get stuck there. And in shamanism, going back into the past and doing that healing work is really the soul retrieval process, where we go back into the past, we find the lost soul fragments, and we bring them back. We do the healing work, we reintegrate them. And that's important. But what's also equally important is drawing from the future and connecting with your fully healed self and drawing that version of you from the future into the present. So you have a vision of what your fully healed self looks like and feels like. So you can actually begin to embody that expression of you now. Most people that are constantly going back into the past to continuously scratch at old wounds, those wounds never actually heal. One, because you keep scratching at them. And two, you don't really know what the version of you that you're being called to step into looks like. So that's something that I would definitely, and that's called destiny retrieval. So there's the soul retrieval, but there's also the destiny retrieval. And if you don't have a vision for the destiny retrieval, you're always going to be going into the past and doing this work. So I actually think once you get clear what your highest expression looks like and feels like, you don't have to keep scratching at old wounds as much. You don't have to do as much of the shadow work. And that's, I think, one of the missing pieces in the realm of kind of like self-help and, you know, healing and personal development is people are constantly addicted going back into the past trying to fix what they think is broken. But if you're always going back into the past, thinking that there's more stuff to fix, the more you reinforce your brokenness, 
right? So one of the mantras that I love that I offer my clients is, what if there's nothing to fix, just feelings to feel? And if you're willing to fully feel exactly how you're feeling in each moment and fully embody each experience and love those parts of you, you don't necessarily have to keep going back and fixing, clearing, you know, you know, scratching at old wounds. So I think that's really um, something that's really important is figure out what you're being called to step into. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest question that I can offer any individual is no matter what trauma you've been through, you survived it. And the reason there's evidence of that is you're alive, right? So you survived whatever you've gone through in the past. So determine what you're now being called to step into. And on top of that, I would say the only thing, not the only thing, but the main thing that you need to address in terms of the old wounds is how you're still reinforcing them. A big thing is how are we still reinforcing the old wounds or how are we still wounding ourselves in the same way? For example, if we experienced abandonment in the past, and that's one of our core wounds. In the present, a lot of times what we do is we actually abandon ourselves out of the fear of being abandoned from others, right? So it's kind of like that shapeshifter mentality of, okay, who does this person want or need me to be? Let me shapeshift into that. Let me abandon myself and be who I think they want me to be because there's less of a chance they'll abandon me. Or maybe... I was judged and rejected as a child in the past. And now it's okay. Well, if I judge myself a little bit more than everyone else does, then it doesn't feel as wounding when I feel judged by another person, or I can reject myself before anyone else rejects me because I feel like I have more control and that feels safer. So it's really, how are you reinforcing your own woundedness and how are you actually wounding yourself? out of the fear of being wounded by others the way you felt wounded in the past. So that's really the main thing that needs to be addressed is how are you reinforcing your own wounds in the present moment? And once you heal that, once you stop reinforcing those old programs, then you don't really need to go back as much anymore. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so just to kind of uh, like reiterate some of the things that we've been talking about for the listeners. We're talking about, you know, the survival archetypes and noticing those where they show up in different aspects of your life, being able to not just have awareness around those and what they are and where they came from, but having a dialogue with those parts of ourselves because they're sort of trapped in moments of time, which is where you talked a little bit about internal family systems, which to me, I've taken IFS as like a more modern way of doing a soul retrieval. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, or you can call it a, like a shamanic soul retrieval, which is really going back. It is going back in time and recognizing that that younger part of yourself and where that energy is sort of stored and, and kind of replaying itself in your current and dialoguing with that to kind of to clear that and to bring that back to retrieve that fragmented aspect of yourself. But beyond that, we can get kind of stuck in continuing to go back in time yeah. and try to keep healing things. And when when we've done a lot of that and you find yourself doing that, because I've definitely been in that place many a time where you know I think 
a lot of healers get addicted to their own healing and learning more through doing it more for themselves. Like, oh, if I, I know for me, I'm like, if I experience it, then I'll be able to really help other people, you know, experience it. But then it's like, oh, I'm actually hurting myself because I keep just like scratching Mm -hmm. at old wounds that I really want to move into my, what the destiny retrieval that you're speaking about is, which is in order to do that, we need to be more in the present looking towards our fully healed future self and, mm-hmm. uh, and holding space for that possibility that there's mm-hmm. nothing to fix, that we're not broken and it's okay to just feel your feelings mm-hmm. as they are and not attach meaning and story to those feelings. That's a big thing is the, the storylines and the labels that we attach to our emotions. And how much we take our thoughts and our emotions and we polarize them into two categories of the good ones and the bad ones, the right ones and the wrong ones. So what we do is we attach to all the ones that we call good or positive, and we disassociate from all the ones that we call bad or negative. So we're living in this constant like push-pull game of attached to all the parts of me that I like or that I feel like are okay disassociate from all the parts of me that I thought were bad or wrong. And we do that with our whole emotional experience, whether it's, you know, joy and sadness or passion or anger, like all the sadness and the grief and the anger, we disassociate from those because we've been sold the bill of goods that those are wrong or those are bad or those are negative. So we don't allow ourselves to feel them. And then all the emotions that we call positive, we allow ourselves to kind of like indulge in them, not realizing that, you know, like the old saying, emotions are energy in motion. They're simply energy moving through your body at just different frequencies, but they're not good or bad or right or wrong. Like there's positive and negative. There's light and shadow to all of it. Right. So anger, for example, is not a bad emotion. Anger is actually passion without a purpose. Right. So once you're angry about something, you're passionate about something. If you give it a purpose, you can actually facilitate a lot of change. Right. If you look inside of grief, there's tremendous love. Right. Without love, there's no grief. Right. So there's there's such beauty in all of the emotions, the full spectrum of emotions, just like we have the rainbow. We have every spectrum of color. We don't label one color as good and the other color is bad. Right. So one thing that I would invite people to do is whenever challenging emotions rise up for you, just drop the story, drop the label and just drop into your body and allow yourself to feel the embodied experience of your emotions. And what you'll realize is the ones that you called good and the ones that you called bad, a lot of times they actually feel exactly the same, but because of the perception that you have of them, You've dictated, okay, I'm willing to feel this one, but I'm not willing to feel that one. And a lot of mental health challenges, ADD, anxiety, OCD, a lot of that is simply born out of the unwillingness to feel your emotions. Because anytime you don't allow yourself to feel your emotions, that energy in motion stops. It stagnates and it almost bottlenecks. And that bottleneck energy needs to get released somewhere. And if you're not feeling it in the body, the mind is almost like the cap of the soda bottle that you have to flip off in order that energy to be released. Just like if you shake the soda bottle, eventually it's got to, you know, it's got to move the pressure out somewhere. So 
a lot of people's anxiety, OCD, ADD, a lot of that's the release valve in the psyche that's due to really a body that's not really feeling its emotions and the energy and motion needs to go somewhere. Right. So that's really something that I would highly recommend people do is drop that story, drop that label, drop into the body and really feel the embodied experience. There's one other thing that I just want to kind of back up real quick. Yeah. So when you mentioned about why people constantly go into the past and like constantly do more healing work and more shadow work and more clearing, that's also part of the ego structure. Remember, in order for the ego to exist, it needs something to be in relationship with. It needs something to work on. It needs something to push or rub up against. It needs something to direct its attention to where like if there was nothing left to fix then the ego would almost like have no purpose anymore right so part of the reason we keep going back and scratching at old wounds and doing more healing work is it gives the ego something to do and also it gives us a sense of control and i love um matt khan's work i love matt khan's teachings he's one of my favorite spiritual teachers. And one thing he also shares is we use healing work as a control mechanism, not realizing that either way, life is going to have its way with you. And life is going to present you all the situations that you need to heal every wounds that you have, if you allow it to. But a lot of times it's like, I don't want life to have its way with me. So let me go do all the healing and shadow work now because I feel like I have control over it. Where if I just allow the tidal wave of life to just wash over me Mm. and life present me all the challenging situations where I actually have to speak my truth. I actually have to leave that relationship. I actually have to, you know, confront my mom or my dad about something, or I actually have to, you know, whatever it is, it's like we try and get to that work first before life has its way with us. Mm -hmm. Where if you actually just participate in your life fully, the healing happens. That's the way your life is designed. Your life is designed for the healing to happen if you're an active participant in it. So a lot of times we try and like wiggle our way out of that process by like trying to like do it all first before life can. So Absolutely. That's another control mechanism that we have. <laughs> that was that was such a truth bomb, Greg. I love yeah. that one so much because yeah, it's absolutely you know the, it's like we're we, we're worrying, right? We're predicting a future, a potential future, so we can try to figure out what's the best strategy around this. If I worry about it and I you know play the movie in my mind of the worst case scenario, I can figure out some way of control of. Of, of, of it's not going to be as bad because I figured out a way to somehow protect myself and make it a little yeah. bit better. And it's the same when you're sharing with this. It's like, well, if I go into my wounds first, <laughs> then yep. it'll happen my way, right? The ego, mm-hmm. it's like, it'll happen in the way that I want it to. Again, that control versus in some mysterious, maybe some worse way that'll just knock me over the head. And what you're saying is it's going to happen anyways. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you like an example from my own life. So I, I was bullied a lot as a child for being very quiet, never using my voice, never expressing myself. That's why I got into athletics. I feel like, cause I could just use my body. I didn't really have to utilize my voice. And I have 
had a lot of woundedness around the use of my voice. And I've done a lot of like the soul retrieval work and the internal family systems work of working with those younger parts of me. And it's a lot of that work was great, but a lot of it's kind of like, okay, let me fix all this. So when I'm in any situation that I have to use my voice, I feel good. But not until I started teaching workshops, teaching classes, doing podcasts, did I realize how much woundedness there was and how much life was just delivering me all these situations where it was like, all right, Greg, like you can sit in your own room and talk to your inner child and let him know that everything's going to be okay. And, you know, do all this stuff, but you actually now have to participate in life and go on the podcast and feel the restriction in your throat, feel your heart beating a million miles an hour and actually do the thing. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, that stuff starts to clear it. It clears not by doing the internal family systems work and the soul retrieval. It clears by stepping into the situations that life is offering you where now you have an opportunity to strip the different story for yourself. Like before you and I started, and even when you were reading my bio, like I felt my throat closing down. I felt my heart beating like a million miles an hour. So like I felt the woundedness inside of me, but it's not stopping me from still doing the thing. Mm -hmm. So that's where life is just life is going to hand you all the situations that you need to heal if you just let it happen and just actively participate and show up. Mm, Ain't ain't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah, um, It's all the the lessons from just showing, just being here, just being in life. I'm curious for you just from a, you know, because this is the woo cast. So we like to get a little, little woo woo here and talk about, you know, spirituality and, you know, and the soul. And I'm curious for you from your own, just work with clients and, and your own healing, what your thoughts are or theories. It's not, you know, it doesn't have to be concrete. I know mine are ever changing. I have no idea why we're here or what we're doing. I just like to, you know, play around with different ideas. Mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts on the idea of this, the destiny, like you're talking about that we are, you know, are we here and do we have it because we have a destiny that we are, that's going to happen to us regardless, right? Is there free will or like, what are your thoughts on, on that? That's a loaded question. I, know. I can just, <laughs> I can, can share with you um, just my perspective, just yeah. from my own experiences, my own studies. Um, I, I think that you know, the question, what's our destiny? My answer to that would be that all roads lead back home eventually for every individual. And that home is really source, you know? So I think we are all a unique expression of source and who we really are is source just embodied in manifestation and form. So I think what is the purpose of each one of our journeys? I think our purpose is to realize that our purpose is to really understand who and what we really are. And each one of our journeys and how we get there is just very different because we're individuals. So I do think that our trauma, our crisis, our pain, our wounds are all opportunities for us to dive deeper into ourselves till eventually we get to that core seed 
And that seed, which for me sits right in the heart is the soul. And that is really the part of us that like Ramda says is just loving awareness, right? It's just the witness. And I think all of our journeys are really bringing us back to that place. And when I do that destiny retrieval and I call upon my fully healed self, like I was just sitting in my backyard this morning, just meditation, calling upon my fully healed self. And my experience of that is really what I would consider the experience of the soul or spirit, which is just awareness. It's just this present loving awareness that has nothing to do that has nowhere to go and has nobody that it has to try and become because it knows who and what it really is. And I think that's really the journey that we're all on. And, you know, it takes, you know, a little bit shorter time for some people, a little bit longer for others. And, but time's an illusion anyway. So um, that's really my perspective. Yeah. Was this, did this come more recently for you uh, in this last decade? Or was this something that you were aware of even when you were, were growing up? Or what brought you to have a spiritual practice? Even, you know, you talked about meditation and, and, uh, and you did, you know, you've done this like shamanic training. So a lot of that's very spiritual. And, you know, we talked like moving out of the dense matter and helping people with that and moving more into energy work. Was that something you were always interested in when you were younger? Did that really come out of the, that last 10 years? I, I mean, if you told me when I was a teenager that I was going to be a like shamanic energy healer or like holistic health practitioner, I thought I would have said you're crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure on a soul level that, you know, I already knew that path, but the athletics were just kind of a stepping stone for me. So yeah, I didn't really um, have much of what I would call a spiritual life. I mean, I grew up in a Jewish home and I was bar mitzvahed and, you know, I absolutely hated all that stuff. I kind of completely held against kind of like the conventional, traditional kind of Judeo-Christian religion. Um, now I see some beauty in it. I kind of take the gems and leave the rest of the stuff that I don't really resonate with. Um, I do think there's gems and beauty in every religion if you you know connect with some of the mystics of each religion um there's beauty in all of it but for me the what i would call the spiritual path started after my trauma it started after my surgery following where i started having a lot of the mental and emotional challenges a lot of the kind of looping thought patterns anxieties things like that where I started with meditation and meditation was really my entry point into spirituality. It was, you know, the first few experiences where I would sit in meditation and my mind would be kind of going nonstop, but I eventually I would get to this place where I was able to just witness it. I was able to just watch it kind of like sitting in the eye of the storm. And at first I was just like, wait, who is this me that's just watching all of this unfolding? I thought I was all these thoughts. I thought I was, you know, all this chaos, but I'm actually just like watching it. Like I'm watching a movie. And all of a sudden it was just like, Whoa, like I have like this just silent awareness inside of me. that's just like watching it all unfold. And that really was my entry point into spirituality of looking to solve the question. Who is that? Mm -hmm. 
right? Because that's a self that I hadn't really experienced um, in a conscious form for the first 18 years of my life. I mean, it's always there, but um, I wasn't consciously aware of it until the chaos reached enough of a point where I just had to sit in the eye of it, where it was perfectly still and just have the experience of that part of me that was there. Yeah. What are some of the tools and they're, I know they're different for each person because everyone's on their own unique path. But if we had to, for the listeners, give them like, okay, here is your, your five prescriptive, here's the medicine that we as humans really need to make sure that we are supporting ourselves with and, and doing on a regular basis. What are those for you? Five, like five essentials. Yeah. And it could be, Um, it could be less or more, but what are some of the essentials? I mean, some of the essentials are going to be kind of boring to some people, but (laughs) it's really the essentials. Um, Quality sleep, I would say is number one. Real food is number two. And I don't care what kind of diet it is, just real food. Um, So quality sleep, real food, movement, anytime, any type of movement doesn't have to be strenuous. It doesn't have to be, you know, like a kick-ass CrossFit workout, just moving your body. You know, if you look at like the blue zones and the longevity hotspots in the world, like you don't really see a lot of like intense workouts. You just see like a low level of physical activity of like walking and gardening and, you know, dancing. And it's just like, you don't really need to do like that much intensity. You just need to move your body. Right. So sleep, real food, movement, I would say, um, breath. I think that breath is probably the most powerful tool we have for impacting and shifting our physiology and our psychology and our energy. So I would say movement, breath, food, sleep. And then I would say being outdoors, being in nature, grounding yourself, especially nowadays with how overly stimulated people's nervous system is and how overstimulated people are electromagnetically, especially with all our devices and screens. Just getting yourself in nature and grounding yourself, taking your shoes off, putting your bare feet in the earth and just spending time out there without any devices, without any screens. Um, I think that's five, right? Sleep, movement, real food, breath and grounding. I would say if you could do that, like you're in pretty good shape. Everything else is kind of just icing on the cake, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's none of those have to take a huge commitment either. Uh, yeah. which I think is important unless you're mean I've had insomnia for going on month three now, then the the first one is taking a bit of a commitment. So that's been an interesting path. My own life, life talk about life happening to you and things yeah. teaching you lessons. Um, that's one for me that's happening currently. That's been really in- interesting that I'm, that I'm on the, I'm getting on the other side of it. It feels like, but it was, it's been a quite a interesting couple of months after having quality sleep. And when you dial in all the basics, your capacity to handle life stressors is so much better, right? So if you think about your system as like a bucket and your stress is kind of like water that gets poured in the bucket, 
if you're not eating well and you're not sleeping well and you're not moving your body and you're not getting outdoors and you're not working with your breath, like that bucket is filled right to the brim already. Mm -hmm. And then you throw financial stress on top of it and relationship stress and COVID stress. And that bucket just tips over. And that bucket tipping over means crisis. It means health crisis, relationship crisis, whatever. So if you can dial in the basics and eat real food, move your body, ground yourself, get good quality sleep, breathe from your belly, all of a sudden, like that bucket is really pretty empty. So then you have room, okay, relationship stress, financial stress, COVID stress. And it's like, oh, the bucket can handle it. It's got space. So that's really where, you know, dialing in the basics are so important is you, you become a container that can handle life stressors. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I've had a lot of clients come to me with, I want to, I want to become more resilient. And that's what you're speaking of. If we dial in on these foundational elements, then you automatically have so much more resiliency to be able to handle all of the challenges that will come our way. You know, we do not have control over a lot of those external circumstances that come our way, like COVID, you know, and, but if you're already dialed in to those foundational practices and taking care of yourself, then you have a much larger capacity to be able to deal with them. And the body is the lens that you perceive the world from. The body is the lens that you perceive your life from. So your perspective and your outlook on life is very often dependent on the health of the body. That's why when we started, like I was sharing with you, like no matter whether you're doing your energy healing, emotional healing work, like you have to start with the basics and getting the body healthy because the body is your interface between your inner and your outer world. It's really the lens you perceive it from. It's, um, it's how you perceive you know, everything in life. So if your body is healthy, you see things clearly when your body is healthy, you see things as opportunities. When your body is healthy, you can engage and participate and you have space inside of you for everything that life throws at you. But the more unhealthy the body gets, it's almost like the window that you're perceiving the outer world from gets dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And your perception of everything that's happening is clouded mm. and it's, you, you perceive everything as stressful because your body's under stress. And a lot of times we don't actually differentiate what's an outer stressor and what's an inner stressor. For example, when people are low blood sugar, they go into a stress response. They start having a lot of anxiety because being low blood sugar is like a death threat to the body. But Most people don't acknowledge, hey, I'm low blood sugar. I should go eat something. They look in their outer environment. Where is this stressor coming from? Is it my boss? Is it my children? Is it my spouse? It's like, no, it's your damn blood sugar, Mm -hmm. right? Or if people have a dysbiosis in the gut and that's throwing off their hormones and neurotransmitters, their perception of their whole life shifts their relationships, their work, everything, their mental clarity, everything. So getting the body healthy is really, um, is really the foundation of also our spiritual growth because your mind can only be as healthy as the body that it's living in. And if you get the body healthy enough, it's easier for the soul and the spirit to go into other realms 
But if the soul and the spirit goes into other realms and the psyche kind of like travels astrally, and this is a little bit woo too, if the body's unhealthy, the body's going to be like, what the hell are you doing out there? I need you here. Like, I'm trying to survive. What are you doing going out there and doing all that spiritual work? Like, we need to just like make it to tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. So the body becomes the limiting factor in terms of the expansion of the soul, because the soul can expand if the body's in survival mode all the time. That makes a lot of sense. And as a nutritionist, when I got into eating healthy, that is what propelled my own my spiritual journey for the first yeah. time ever was cleaning up my diet and was eating. I was eating all of these all real food, very high vibrational, nutrient dense foods. And all of a sudden, the clarity that I'd never experienced before came through and spiritual um, like inquiry came through. And it was just it's such an interesting thing how that happens. It's like I had this beautiful shaman say to me once to think of your body like a spacesuit. Mm-hmm. And your soul is the astronaut and mm-hmm. you're not allowing your soul to fulfill its destiny or do its work here. If you're not taking care of the spacesuit. Mm-hmm. And I always think about that, you know, and use that analogy with a lot of people. It's like, we've got to really make sure that, you know, you don't yeah. take your helmet off out there in space and you're just, you, you know, you die. <laughs> so. Yeah. And when your body is very healthy, and you do spiritual work, like you do inner work, meditation, whatever, and your body is healthy, it feels like you don't have one. Mm-hmm. Right. And that allows you to expand energetically. But the more unhealthy the body is, the more it brings you back in and contracts and contracts and contracts. So there's no space to really expand. And when I did my shamanic training with Alberto Violdo, who's like one of the famous shamans. Um, he said when he started training people, you know, 30 something years ago, 80% of people could see and feel energy. He said, now when I'm training people in classes, it's like 20%. Mm. And he said, the only reason for that is people's bodies, specifically their gut health is completely different now compared to three, four decades ago. And when the body gets that unhealthy, what happens is your, your body is basically the antenna system that picks up all of the frequencies outside of you. But if your body is unhealthy, it's kind of like the, the, the radio in your car, it's fuzzy. Like you don't get an accurate read. So the same thing is when you're working with energy is when the body's unhealthy, it's like, you're not picking up the radio station. So you can't actually see or feel anything. You don't get a clear read on what's going on. And when you're so filled with a lot of kind of like feelings and sensations in the body and the biochemistry is off and it's uncomfortable, you don't have space inside of you for someone else, right? So to work with a client or to work as a healer, you need to bring that person into you Mm -hmm. so you can actually feel them. But if you're still full of stress, there's no space inside of you for anything else. Yeah. Have you found for yourself that you've had to take breaks from time to time, you know, we're, we're all human. And have you been able to be able to continue to hold all this space for people? Or have you found that there are times where you're like, I need to 
set a boundary, take space so that I can show up more fully because I'm under my own stress in life. Yeah. I mean, self-care, you know, is primary in terms of working as a coach or a healer. Like if you're not taking care of yourself, like, you know, the old saying, like you can't come drink from a dry well. Right. So if you're not taking care of yourself and filling yourself up, you have nothing to offer. Mm -hmm. So yes, I mean, my self-care is, you know, my primary focus and everything else, you know, builds upon that. So my capacity to show up for anyone else is based on my capacity to take care of myself. But on the other hand, when I used to do energy work initially, um, I used to get very depleted. And when I used to get very depleted, it was me that was doing the work. But now I've really started to try and shift and I can catch myself when um, I start to feel depleted. I know I'm getting too involved in the work Mm -hmm. where for me, my energy work now has started to transition more into, I just empty myself. I just empty myself and allow things to move through me. And what allows, what I allow to move through me feels like a higher vibration of energy. That's not coming from me necessarily as an individual. So that is not depleting at all because I also have the perspective that I'm receiving exactly what I'm offering because it's moving through me first. Mm -hmm. So the healing energy that's moving through me into a client is moving through me. So I'm receiving it as well because it's coming from source energy, which technically is inside of us. It's not like, you know, a source in the sky out there. Um, But I'm not the one doing the work. You know, I'm the one that's getting out of the way for the work to happen. Yeah. Right. So I think when you heal the part of you that feels like you're the doer, then this work is not as depleted. Then there's an infinite well to pull from. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. There's the two sides of that coin. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you're speaking about that, in terms of being that conduit for that source energy as a coach and a healer that's available to anybody listening, whether or not you want that to be your profession. I'm just thinking, you know, that that is available to all of us to be that conduit for that energy to come through for information about your life, your purpose, whatever your, you know, decisions that you're, you know, wavering on right now, like that is available to you. And through the practices that Greg's been talking about from, you know, meditation as you you know talked about being part of your like an integral piece of what got you to to notice the self the capital s self and through taking care of the the foundational elements of our physical health so that we can have that space we can empty that bucket like it is available to to all of us like i i reiterate this a lot on the show that no one is more special than another person (laughs) And uh, we all have access to this infinite wisdom and knowledge to be able to, you know, live a life that is meaningful and purposeful. And, and um, yeah, so thank you for sharing all of your incredible wisdom with us today. Uh, This was such an awesome conversation, really. Um, Any, anything else you want to share? Where can people connect with you? What are you offering right now? I know you do have your program that we talked about in the beginning. 
Yeah. So if people would like to connect with me directly, they can go to my website at healing4d.com. And if they're interested in working with me as a client, that's where they can you know, find out more about my work. And then I also have my 21 day online program, which is called Healing the Mind, A Journey to Wholeness, which is really just a 21 day holistic and really integrative approach to mental emotional health. And that program is really what I built out of my own journey and all of the lessons, all of the teachings, all of the tools and practices that I used in my own healing and my own path. That's really, you know, how I gave birth to that program. So if your listeners are interested in that program, they can go to healing4d.com forward slash HTM. And if they use the code podcast 20, they can get 20% off. So we give a little discount for your listeners. Healing4d.com forward slash HTM. And the code is podcast 20. And I'll link that. I'll link all that in the show notes for you guys with that code so that you can have access to that. That's really very nice of you. Thank you, Greg. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on.